every generation, there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and with the help of guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, I'm exploring the comics, films, and television series uh, that have spun out of the creative minds in, around, and beyond the Whedonverse. With me this week, friend and fellow genre nerd, I think I'm safe defining you that way, Sarah Kosha. Absolutely. Sarah. Hi. Welcome to the show uh, for the first time, which I which shames me, as is often the case when I have my friends on this show and it, it dawns on me that they've never been on the show before. I have no excuse. I have no explanation. Oh, not at all. You're, you're bringing me on at the perfect time because I'm very excited about these episodes. I've, I've often cited them as my favorite in the Angel series. Excellent. Excellent. These are two good ones. Um, before we talk about uh, the episodes... I. I don't know why I'm being coy. If people have tuned into this episode, it's right there in the title, what we're talking about. But before we get to the episodes, um, since this is your first time on the show, uh, and since my devoted listeners likely don't know who you are, let's talk about your history with Buffy and or Angel, preferably Angel, since that's where we are. But yeah, what's your uh, what's your history with the, the Whedonverse? How did you get started with this? Sure. So I was 11 years old when I first turned on FX and saw a Buffy rerun playing. Uh, and oh my the... God, you're killing me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it was a rerun. It was uh, 2001 and I was immediately hooked, binged all of it, you know, watched it end to end. The first episode of Angel I saw was in the middle of season four and I immediately soured on it and i was like i don't think this is the show for me i don't know what's going on i don't like it it took years i was probably like college aged before i i went back and like all right i'm gonna give angel a try since i love the writers and since i love the character so much like let's let's do it again and i i got through season one and then there was like a point in the middle of season two where i was like wait a second i'm obsessed with this show and it was right around these episodes that I was like, this show is amazing. And I'm glad that I discovered it a little bit later in life because I do think it's a slightly more mature show in its themes. And you, yeah. you have to be at a different kind of place in your in your evolution as a human being to understand and appreciate it that way. But yeah, I, I, I love it very much. It's it's right up there with Buffy as you know, one of my all-time favorites. And I absolutely recommend it to anybody. Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. I've talked many times on the show about how uh, um, Angel is the more... I, I always feel like I'm being disrespectful to Buffy when I say this, but listeners know my feeling about Buffy, uh, that Angel <laughs> is the more mature series. I mean, obviously, Buffy was initially set in high school. I mean, it was 
for all intents and purposes, a high school show. And Angel is more about adults living in the adult world. But anyways, um, yeah, so I'm super glad that you, uh, I mean, it kills me that you were 11 <laughs> when you started with Buffy because I was, uh, I'm old. Anyways, um, and I'm intrigued by the fact that apparently you watched all of Buffy. Oh, well, okay, no, never mind, because you watched them all in reruns. But still, I did. but still, you made it all the way through Buffy and didn't watch like the Angel crossovers at the time, right? No, no, I wasn't watching them live, so I wouldn't have been able to be on top of the crossovers anyway. Mm. Uh, I might have flipped back and forth a couple of times to see the other episodes, but I, my my first impression of it was definitely that this wasn't my speed. And when I go back and watch now, I'm like, that just isn't a good episode at all. <laughs> so it, it was it was not the right impression. But, but starting over again from the beginning and getting to meet Angel on its own terms definitely changed my mind. Excellent. Excellent. So... Um, what, uh, how crazy have you gotten in your fandom? Like, have you been to conventions or, or have you met or befriended any of the, the actors or creators? Like how, how deep in the rabbit hole have you gone? Oh, sure. I've gone to Dragon Con a few times. I actually did a custom-made Drusilla cosplay, and I got photo ops done with James Marsters, uh, Amy Acker, um, J. August Richards, and, you know, I met Julie Benz as well. Um, So that was all very cool. Uh, Yes, so I I guess I'm, I'm that level. I've got a group of friends that I met on Twitter through the Buffy and Angel fandoms, which you are a part of. Yes. Uh, and, and we all go to Dragon Con together every year and, you know, meet the actors and the writers. It's a great time. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, so you have, uh, you have personal history with Darla and Drusilla is what you're telling me. I love the Fanged Four <laughs> so much. I actually call myself Drusera when, when we get to those kind of nice situations i'm actually attending a buffy party next month that my my best friend is having and i've got another drusilla costume in the works so so she's definitely my go-to that's amazing that's amazing we we will talk more about drusilla uh in in the show she's one of my favorites um she's one of the many characters that i wish had gotten more time i mean i love everything we get from her but i wish we'd gotten more absolutely and darla i mean her run on Angel was truly one of the highlights of the show for me and one of the best performances I've ever seen from her. I think it's incredible. Yeah, I've uh, uh, Julie Benz is amazing and uh, this is nothing against her. I'm sure it's just my I connect with her via Darla. But um, like I, I didn't watch Dexter. I know everybody gives me hell for it. it. That should be right up my alley, but I never watched that. But like the, the little bits I've caught of her on Dexter, I was like, man, I kind of wish she was just playing Darla right now. But And to think it all could have ended in season one of Buffy and we never would have known right. the range. Right. So crazy. So crazy. In fact, in one of tonight's episode and in, in one of the episodes we're going to talk about, there's a moment where, Angel gets to contemplate whether or not he's going to stake Darla. And as I was rewatching today, as I was rewatching that episode today, I was like, man, you didn't hesitate last time. <laughs> like uh, th- there was a point where you just uh, flat out staked her and didn't think twice about it. 
I'm glad that you brought that up because I do think that's a very interesting parallel and, and worth discussing further for okay. sure. Okay. Um, all right. Well, so let's, uh, let's stop beating around the bush. Let me, let me drop a spoiler warning here for our listeners. Um, I don't think you need one, Sarah, since you're on the show with me, but just in case, absolutely not just in case this podcast, uh, we're going to be discussing the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. Uh, that means there's going to be spoilers and potentially a lot of them. I mean, possibly all of them. So <laughs> with this official warning out of the way, uh, if everybody's, if everybody's on board, if you're all caught up and ready to listen, then uh, let's go to work. So tonight we're going to be talking uh, about just two episodes of Angel, uh, episode 210, Reunion, and 211, Redefinition. And um, Sarah, like you alluded to, these uh, I think the episode title Redefinition in particular is very apt um, for the point in season two that we're at here. There's a there is a line of demarcation in the sort of framework of the series that happens around this point. Absolutely. Uh, every, there's there's pre-reunion redefinition and post-reunion redefinition. Um, but let's start off with uh, season two, episode ten, reunion. Originally aired on December nineteenth, two thousand. It's written by Tim Minear and Sean Ryan and directed by James Contner. And uh, Sarah, what are your thoughts on reunion? So, I mean, Reunion picks up right after the trial where you see Darla fighting for her life and then ends up getting bitten by Drusilla. So already in in one of one of the best sort of like cliffhanger endings that uh, either series ever pulled off, in my opinion. Absolutely riveting. Um, and, And you really get to see in this moment how much of a hold darla has over angel even still and and the way that it affects him it's uh it's very intense the episode is great there's a lot of mind-blowing moments in it from start to finish and i i kind of can't believe how much they pack in there of course i'm sure you know the scene that i'm thinking of towards the end which is uh probably the best example of this and that was kind of a a way of redefining the series, I think, mm-hmm. and the character of Angel. So a lot going on and a lot going on for a mid season episode for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, this, this literally is the middle of season two. Um, although the, the Whedon shows tended to try like they made a habit of mid season I don't think back then we had like mid-season breaks or mid-season hiatus like we do now. A lot of long-running seasons now will break the season in half and you'll go away for a month or two before you come back. I don't think that was going on in Buffy and Angel. I don't remember that. But um, uh, at any case, um, I do want to apologize to my regular listeners. I'm sure you've noticed that there's been a gap between the cliffhanger ending of the trial, uh, which I discussed in the previous episode of this podcast and today, um, unless you're listening to this years in the future, in which case there's no gap. But if you've been playing along, you know that I I've been away from the mic for a little while. I apologize to leave you all on such a cliffhanger moment uh, before coming back. In fact, my, my should be partner in crime, the oft cursed Arlo Wiley, 
who initially set up the uh, sort of episode groupings that we would be discussing on this series. I don't know why he didn't include the trial in the... I don't know why we're not discussing the trial reunion and redefinition, because they kind of all should go together. But Yeah, I always thought of them as like a three-parter. Yeah, yeah. He's been... He, he did pretty good in, in grouping the episode discussion schedule, but uh, I'm going to ding him on this one. So everybody, <laughs> if you know Arlo, please reach out and give him a virtual smack for that. Anyways. Miss you, Arlo. Oh, no. Don't say kind things about him. We don't talk We don't talk about Arlo kindly on this podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about your very antagonistic <laughs> yes, romance. Yes, yes. He, did you say our t- antagonistic romance? bromance oh yes. well either way i suppose anyways he's he's i love him like a brother which means i usually irritates the hell out of me um <laughs> anyways yeah so <laughs> the all three of these are epi- all two of these episodes and the trial have um their really intense like shocking cliffhangers or you know big moments um talked about the end of uh, the trial having the whole Darla kicking in the door or Drusilla kicking in the door and uh, turning Darla this one there's a pretty big thing that happens at the very end of the episode which which uh, leads into redefinition which has another shocking thing that's not quite a cliffhanger but um, the darkness that uh, the character of Angel begins to embrace in these two episodes has been building. I mean, it's always been a part of the character, obviously he's a vampire with a soul, but the particular brand of darkness, um, that he is giving into in these two episodes and which will haunt him for a little ways to go. Um, I think really, I mean, it's been building, it's been a gradual build over the entire season. Uh, and this is sort of, where it lands, where it comes home to roost. Um, particularly the moment, we can just talk about it. We can just go to the end really quick and talk about the uh, slow, purposeful walk up the stairs as the sounds of human screams follow him from below. Mm. Um, that was a kind of darkness that the show doesn't often do. No, I I was certainly shook by that that moment. Um, and ha- having been a fan of Buffy before and seeing this trajectory of Angel the character, which of course Angel the show goes into in a lot of depth with flashbacks and whatnot, it's a very meaningful turn for him because since he has been insold, he has done certain things that you could say are bad, never at this scale where he has been so willingly careless with this quantity of human life, mm-hmm. um, where he had the opportunity to save people and instead left them for dead. It was clearly coming from a place of vindictiveness and rage. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was really the intention of Wolfram and Hart, the institution all along, as was mentioned in this episode by Holland Manners. 
Angel himself was the real project, not oh, Darla. Yeah. They he was their mission. Yeah. And I know that big picture they were hoping to turn him to their side. So I suppose if you are an institution like this, having, you know, a handful of your employees get massacred to help steer this one guy off of the ledge and lead him towards the dark side. It's a, it's a reasonable price to pay. Well, for the, for the institution. Yes. For the, for the firm, for the institution of Wolfram and Hart. Yes. Less so probably uh, for Angel. It's <laughs> well, less so probably for Holland personally. <laughs> I would think. Oh, I'm, I, he certainly was not expecting that. And that makes it so, so good. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah what what else do we need to talk about in this so i love the i love the desperate search so the show the episode picks right up uh from the end of uh the trial with angel sort of babbling incoherently he's so in shock after what uh he just saw happen to darla of course we don't really get we never really get any explanation of how he got out of that situation like that episode ended remind me it's been a minute did they just like i think they burst into the room and like tased him and were holding him down um did they just then walk away and leave him semi-conscious yeah. on the floor i guess okay that is implied we don't actually okay. see it happen but uh gun was called by angel for help so he he comes to rescue him i i assume that they made off with Darla and left Angel on the ground as per instruction. Okay. Yeah. Because they're not supposed to kill him. They're not supposed to capture him. They're supposed to push him till he snaps. Right. Right. Okay. Um, well, so I love seeing uh, the gang, um, you know, do their, do their best to try and help Angel, who is borderline unhinged at mm. this at this stage and only gets worse over the course of the episode. Um, I love the fact that it was gun who at this point in the series is still um, a kind of the outsider in the group. He's not officially really a member of the gang yet. I mean, he's on the payroll, but anyways, I just love the fact that uh, of the, of the group, he's the one that is like, maybe, maybe she didn't mean like baby nursery maybe she meant you know a plant nursery that's got your dirt and your view and all that i just love the fact that he was the one that figured that out absolutely and i think that gun probably becomes a little bit more integrated with the group officially by the end of this episode with what they go through together and then it's like okay now he's part of the gang yeah 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 um what else uh it's curious to me um because as maddening as it is, and I, ha- I definitely have a, a, one of those maddening conundrums uh, to discuss here in a moment, but as maddening as, as it is to me, I always try and uh, I'm fascinated by the sort of vampire rules and mythology and stuff that the Whedonverse tries to set up. So it was just interesting to watch um, the recently revamped, the, the just risen Dar- Darla, I almost said Darcilla. <laughs> uh, Darla, um, she seems to be s- s- cl- 
clinging to some of the the recent humanity uh, like mm. uh, she's angry at Drew for having cursed her again or whatever um, and it really doesn't seem like she settles back into you know uh, the old me as she calls it until she drinks from that that man on the street yes that's very true I think that she's kind of got Angel still in her head as mm-hmm. much as she's in his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and even after she drinks blood and kind of resorts back to her old ways, you can tell that there's still a part of her that still feels kind of fixated on him. Oh, absolutely. Bothered. Absolutely. Uh, I, to all protestations to the contrary, uh, she is still fixated on Angel. Like her whole her whole trying to put together, I guess this really happens in the next episode, but the whole notion of her, um, you know, wanting to start her own gang or whatever, and just, you know, tear down the city. That's not, that has never been Drew's MO in the past. Like she loves causing chaos with her friends, but she was never the master. Like the master was the one that wanted to form the whole, you know, sacred order uh and you know destroy the entire world um so i so i just feel like her the turn she takes in this is less about okay i'm i'm evil again i want to do evil things it's more about i want to do something that i know is going to get angel's attention exactly it's like subconsciously she's got something to prove and she's trying to get his attention and keep him engaged because her end goal really is about him as yeah. much as his is about her. It's yeah. really the moment that he first sees her like walking through the streets and realizes that she's back from that point to the moment that he sleeps with her. He is completely obsessed and it's interesting seeing her kind of like reach that same level where their, their pods are so intertwined, even after she becomes a vampire, even after she drinks blood, they can't quite let each other go. Yeah. You said something earlier about, uh, uh, the powers send Cordy a vision. Um, and angel is really reluctant to, to let, himself be sidetracked by that in fact the implication in this episode and i think again in the next episode and i'm pretty sure it's confirmed in a future episode the implication is that the powers that be are deliberately trying to keep angel from going down this path by getting too involved with darla they're trying to to distract him with these visions and to remind him that his purpose is to help the helpless yeah Uh, uh, Angel doesn't really care what his purpose is at this point, according to the powers that be. His commitment to Darla, his obsession with her, at first saving her and then taking her down, it's uh, all-consuming at the expense of his relationships with his friends, at the expense of whatever helpless people need his service. This is uh, single-minded to the point of recklessness. At a certain point, there's uh, he says something about uh, he Angel says he has more important things to do in reference mm-hmm. in reference. I think it's when they find when they find the suicidal kid who's who's talking about Morgog or whatever <laughs> random ruler of the universe that was. 
um, Angel's like, well, you guys deal with this. I have more important things to do. And Wesley, uh, I mean, they all, but Wesley in particular looks rightfully horrified that he would say something like that. Um, cause I love the way Angel just blasts into this highly sensitive situation yeah, and yeah, yeah. He just like tears at the shrine, takes away the weapon. He's like, no, you're, you're not doing this. Goodbye. And he bounces. Yeah. 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 Um, but I mean, no time. yeah, yeah. But I mean, that behavior, I mean, it's funny, but that behavior is, you know, a symptom of the fact that he is, he's losing focus on what his focus should arguably. I mean, I mean, what do you think? What's your take on it? I was, I was about to go down. I mean, I'm, I'm going on the supposition that uh, this is the wrong path for angel and his path really should be, you know, focusing on, helping the helpless or hopeless i can't remember which version it is at this point in the series um uh and the notion of you know sticking around to give that kid a little post-traumatic uh counseling or whatever he needs uh is just not doesn't interest him anymore i feel like that's off brand so but what do you think well i think that the brand is um kind of a dichotomy if you will I mean, Angel's whole path of helping the helpless really began when he found this cute little blonde chick and fell in love with her Mm -hmm. and decided, I have to change my life because she needs me, right? Mm -hmm. And and here we are again. Different girl, same problem. Uh, uh, I think that Angel's dedication towards helping people has never been his North Star. If anything, it's tied for that or at least it's been at times um, swayed by some of his baser urges. I think that seeing Darla back in the world and a human, no less, uh, drummed up something in him that was very primal and just completely rocked his world. So his determination to help her his frustration with how her presence has impacted his life is, uh, it's just too big. It's too personal for him to care about all the other people out there that need his help. It's not his focus. Once he uh, deals with that problem and gets it out of his system, well, then he comes back to the fold. But that probably says something about the way that he's wired. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely true. Um, I'm just wondering in the larger cosmological sense, I mean, both of these shows play, you know, play the, uh, the destiny or the fate or the prophecy card left, right and center. Um, and obviously the whole, the Shanshu prophecy is a big deal in the entire series of angel. Um, so, I mean, I'm just, I was momentarily considering whether, it is sort of traumatic for us as fans of the show and fans of the character of angel to watch him reach this point of darkness where he's like, I don't have time to help normal, you know, regular people. I'm on this mission right now. Um, in one sense, that's horrifying, but is it a necessary darkness that he's going through right now? Like does going through, does reaching this dark place and, uh, and losing his focus or, or change or, you know, changing his focus is this an essential path that ultimately leads him to where 
he quote unquote needs to be by the end of the series? I mean, I suppose you could argue that it is if you believe that the ends justify the means. When he comes through this, he has a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be argued that he needed to obsess for a little while and then, you know, spank his inner moppet and get over it. <laughs> well, he does that several times over the course of the series. And at the risk of being crass, I'm just going to reiterate that the point of his obsession ends when he beds her. Yeah, so I, I, there's, yeah. There, there might be something to say about that. About <laughs> he, he can't get her out of his mind until he sleeps with her, and then suddenly everything shifts, and he's back to himself. I mean, I genuinely can't remember. I'm sure the the thousands and thousands of much smarter people than myself uh, who do like Buffy and Angel research and and academia. I'm sure this has been addressed <laughs> countless times, but. Here in the moment, in my feeble little brain, I, I do find myself thinking that, uh, you know, the the old cliche of when someone breaks your heart, what do you do? You find someone that looks like them and you sleep with them and then dump them, and that's a little, kind of, a little bit what happens here. I mean, she's another yeah. petite blonde girl. I mean, he's theoretically he's over Buffy, but is he ever really over Buffy? And, uh, you know, he, he, he gets over this phase once he sleeps with Darla and moves on. That's so, I mean, let's not forget that before he was angel, he was Liam and quite a womanizer as a fundamental character trait. So maybe there's just a part of him that's always going to be a little bit preoccupied with the ladies. True true although we all know his true love is spike but anyways that's neither neither here nor there though (laughs) um well let's talk about we haven't uh talked enough about uh juliet landau as the glorious mad queen drusilla um my hero my gosh it is so it's so good so i listeners um if you remember my discussion in the previous episode where we talked about the trial, you may remember I'm not a huge fan of that episode. Really, in my mind, the only thing about that episode that made it worthwhile at all was the ending, was that jaw drop ending, um, which was a jaw drop for several reasons. But one of them is the was the slow motion entrance of Drusilla, who is finally popping up on this show. Epic so good um and uh i've heard some people complain that uh here like the writing of her in these episodes tonight felt a little bit off because you know over on buffy they'd sort of started leaning more into the drusilla as the cassandra where like she's she's actually having prophetic visions and she may sound like a lunatic, but there's something going on in there. If you would just listen. Uh, whereas here, according to some people here, she's just back to sort of being crazy and nonsensical. I have an opinion on that. What do you think? I have never heard that take before, but it, it is interesting they definitely made her a little bit more self-possessed in Angel. At the same time, she's still an agent of Wolfram and Hart. She's working with them. And 
she seems a lot less vulnerable and certainly a lot less preoccupied with these visions. So I'm not sure that she professes anything with an angel that was speaking to some sort of divine sight. Mm-hmm. I'd have to go back and rewatch it to see if there was, but I, I think it's fair to say that they might've just been, you know, keeping her casually crazy for the sake of flavor. The, uh, I don't, so my take is I don't really notice a major discrepancy between the way that she sort of portrayed in this episode versus how she'd been built up on Buffy. Um, I mean, I suppose you could say that it's a little odd to see her working for a human agency. Well, a supposedly quote unquote human agency of Wolfram and Hart. Um, but I mean, she's, she's always been a little bit of a chaos demon. (laughs) She's, she's still got a little chaos demon in her. Um, no pun intended. Uh, I will say that, uh, over these two episodes and I can't remember which one it's in, it might be, it might be the next one redefinition where she makes some comment, uh, to Darla about, um, something about you'll, you'll never be alone. I can't remember what she says. Something to Darla that I read as a sort of little prophetic vision of what's about to go down with Darla in terms of her pending (laughs) maternal state. I don't know why I'm being coy. It's a spoilery show. The fact that she's eventually going to end up becoming miraculously pregnant and, uh, and seek out angels help. I don't know. I, Ooh. maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, there was one line that Drusilla said that I was like, I wonder if that's, you know, foreshadowing. That's really interesting. If I were a better podcaster, I would have written that line down in my notes so I could quote it back to you right now, but I do not have that line in front of me. Um, I'm just super glad uh, that we got, I mean, whether I'm just super glad she's in the show at this point. She won't be for very much long. In fact, I think these two episodes are the end of her on Angel. Uh, We'll see her again in flashbacks. I think on Angel, we get more flashbacks of her. But but I'm almost positive uh, we do not see her. I think we see her in reality one more time on Buffy. I think she goes back in season five crosses back over into season five of Buffy. And then from then on, the only Drusilla that we ever get are all flashbacks or the first. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, she definitely shows up as the first in season seven. So um, we don't actually know. And and I'm saying this as someone who has barely dipped his toe in any of the supposedly canon tie-in material, fucking comic book (laughs) nonsense that happens. Um, which I have not been a fan of. Uh, but in terms of the show itself on screen, the on screen canon, um, I don't think we know what ultimately happens with Drusilla. No, she just goes off somewhere, presumably to wreak more havoc, but it's never addressed. So I've talked many times over the course of this series uh, about the various like spinoffs that we were either promised and never got, or that I've just dreamed about for years and I'm, heartbroken that we never got all the various mm-hmm. you know the dark wesley series that we should or you know whatever all the <laughs> hundreds of things i I can come up with a character from every episode that i'm like i would watch a spinoff about this character 
I, I desperately sure. wanted a Phantom Dennis series. Oh um, my god! But uh, I, after this series wraps, after Angel wraps, mm. um, I basically came as close as I've ever come to writing fanfic. I'm not really a fanfic guy, but I had an entire, I built up an entire canon and was actually sort of pre-gaming the idea that I would write a story in some format um, that would follow Drusilla. I had plans for Drusilla in my head, Drusilla and Spike specifically. Again, spoiler podcast, so I'm about to talk about the fact that Spike eventually gets a soul, although if you've watched Buffy and heard me talk about it, you know that. I had these fantastic visions of a series that focused on Spike, uh, since Spike had um, regained his soul, and it had... Oh, good lord. I'm so sorry. Siri, oh, okay. Siri has decided that I asked it something. Um Anyway, since Spike got his soul and it, it literally changed his life, uh, that he would seek out Drusilla with the intent of curing her, of giving getting a soul for her. Um, oh, because I that's I was really tired of of you know all of our heroes. Their solution to the vampire problem is just to stake them, and. Uh, Spike has a soul. He knows of the restorative power of a soul at this point, uh, and he wants to save Drusilla by tracking her down and and getting her to get her own soul back, which Drusilla would not go for easily, I'm sure. So no, and even if he were to succeed, I imagine the the recovery for her would be very very hard yeah because if you'll remember drusilla was tortured into madness by angel yeah. as angelus uh he killed everybody that she ever loved and she saw it coming and she couldn't do anything to stop it now i think removing her soul at that point i mean they've already he's ruined her in every other way before that but taking her humanity was an act of kindness in the sense of she doesn't have to bear the weight of all of that suffering any longer. Right. And if Spike were to restore her soul, not only would she be met with all of that pain again, but everything that she had done as Darla in an already unstable mind, I think it would be fascinating storytelling, but it would be very tragic and very hard to watch. It absolutely would be. And I'm I'm fighting tooth and nail to not completely go sidetracked on this podcast and talk about nothing but that. You and I will have to talk <laughs> about that at another time. I'll talk about Drusilla anytime. Um yeah. Um I so I'm so desperate for that to happen. I want to be involved in making that happen somehow. Anyways, back to what we're here to talk about. Um, Juliet Landau is a tremendous actress, uh, particularly in this role. I love her as Drew, and I'm so glad that we got some Drew here. Um, I said, I hinted earlier that I had a, a question about the the sort of Whedonverse vampire cosmology that uh, claims to have rules and really doesn't. So I want to I want to ask I want to get your take on the notion again i'm sure this is something that has been discussed ad nauseum but uh i had a moment on the rewatch 
where I questioned how exactly it is that uh, Drusilla managed to revamp Darla and that Darla comes back as the Darla that we've known all along. Be- is that the question? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much. Because the reason it's a question for me is I, again, they change these rules every episode as they need to. Uh, but of course. in in the broad sense, I've always understood that vampires are created when um, a specific type of demon essence possesses the corpse. Um. And they also, the show also likes to toy with the notion of bloodlines, like uh, the bloodline of Aurelius, the master, whatever. Um, I I just wonder, like, Darla was originally turned by the master. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I suppose you could suggest that depending on the power level of the vampire that turns you, it draws in a certain type of spirit to possess the animated the reanimated corpse um how is darla who is in terms of bloodline in terms of genealogy uh thrice removed from the master able to return a not just resurrected but like atomically recreated uh darla body (laughs) with seemingly the exact same vampire essence complete with all of her memories well i think we have to take a step back to darla being resurrected in the first place yeah so first she's a human then she's a vampire then angel stakes are dead she's gone and then wolfram and hart uses their fancy little magic box to bring her back as a human she has all of the memories of her life experiences, but her body is mortal and she is once again dying from the same diseases that plagued her as a human. I don't think it needs to be more complicated than that. Drusilla can sire her because Drusilla is a vampire and because Darla is a human. And that's mm-hmm. that. That's my take anyway. Yeah, no, mechanically, I com- I 100% agree with you. And I suppose, I, I, I think I misspoke when I mentioned memories, because you're right, the, the human Darla that's brought back um, ha- has all those memories. So the fact that once she's turned back into a vampire wouldn't change the memories that she has. So you're 100% right there. I just, I I guess the old, I mean, the, the true answer to this is there is no real explanation. It's fiction and the rules can be whatever you need them to be. But um, in my little nitpicky brain, I guess where I need to land for this to make sense to me is that it's not necessarily the specific demon essence or whatever that inhabits the body that determines what sort of vampire you're going to be. I mean, I suppose that's an interesting question because Wolfram and Hart could have found any old vampire to turn Darla if it was as simple as turning her. Yeah. And they specifically wanted Angel to do it, but that was not in the cards. And Drusilla is also part of that same line. Mm -hmm. It could be argued, I suppose, that they, they wanted someone who had that same vampiric force 
in their bloodline that Darla herself once possessed because it would, I don't know, be more compatible, be more strong. They never really explain it. Um, it's It could also just be argued that they, they chose to bring Drusilla back to do the deed because it would be a lot cooler. <laughs> well, And I, I'm okay with that as an explanation. <laughs> they're not wrong, but no, I, I like... I agree with you. I like where you're going with that, that uh, they 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 did intend it to be Angel. I can't remember if that's specifically stated. I think they do. At some po- I think at some point it was stated that that was their original intent, that Angel would turn her. I could also be conflating that with Darla's statement herself because she wanted him to turn her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when Angel wouldn't do it. And, and presumably this is because... Well, I mean, anyways, we're getting too into the weeds here. I was going to say it's probably because of the lineage of the master, but really, I think they're just trying to mess with Angel's head. But anyways. Okay, so that uh, more or less satisfies my little nitpicky nerd brain. Um, Is there anything else about this particular episode uh, that you want to be sure that we cover before we move on to the next one? Well, I know we did discuss briefly the moment where Angel almost oh, of course, stakes Darla. Yeah, yeah, when she's before she's risen. Mm. Uh, when she's in the dirt. When she's in the in dirt. the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. It's the nursery because, Dr- because Drusilla's a classicist. I respect that about her. She's got style. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's interesting because, of course, in the Buffy series, Angel did stake Darla and killed her in order to protect Buffy. Right. And now she is a vampire once more and he hesitates. He can't quite do it. Now this is also a different point in his life. And he is coming off of this whole experience with Darla, the human Darla with humanity. I think meeting her on that level when he himself has a soul has changed the game for him. Darla evil in the past was quite easy to discount when she was only trouble now he has a reason to fight for her even after it's been lost i don't think he's quite ready to let that go so i think it's a lot harder for him to stake her because there's still that part of him that wants to save her he was ready to die just hours earlier right to save her ready to die to save her so I don't think killing her comes that easily, even when he knows what monster is about to rise. A hundred percent agree. Very well spoken. Um, and and I can't believe I was trying to sort of trans- transition us out of the episode without actually talking about the sh- the two shocks at the end of the episode. Of course. Um, the big one that I remember was was like a seismic event in the fandom when it happened mm. uh of course is uh darla and drusilla showing up at holland manor's house um for a wine tasting for wine tasting of course uh and angel seemingly rushing to the rescue only to lock all of the lawyers in the basement with the two hungry vampire women um and to echo back Holland's, so Holland earlier in the episode had a line that uh, in my notes, I was like, this is the most nauseatingly accurate representation of the rich and powerful in America that I've ever seen. Mm. When Holland, uh, I think Angel says, people are going to die. And Holland says, and yet I just can't seem to care. And 
Angel chillingly uh, repeats that line to Holland when Holland is like, Angel, people are going to die here. He's like, um, and yet somehow I just can't seem to care. At which point, Drusilla, who had been lamenting the fact that she couldn't sense it's not daddy, it's that angel beast or whatever. When he says that and shuts the door and walks away, she's like, daddy? (laughs) Um, Her eyes just light up with wonder and joy. Yeah. She's thrilled. This is, this is the turn. He's coming back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, a chilling, like heart stopping moment when that happens. Um, do you remember what your experience watching that the first time was like? Oh my God. My jaw was on the floor. I, I couldn't believe what I had just seen because it, flew directly in the face of everything that I had known about Angel as a character. Someone who would always be trying to help people and do his part, and now just lets everybody die. Is as good as if he killed them himself. Yeah. And it was because they brought these women here. They they brought Darla back. They brought Drusilla into the mix. They were responsible for it. And it has caused him so much hardship. I think in in his way, he was just like, this is what you brought. You can deal with it. It's now your price to pay. It's such a testament uh, to the, the writers and creators of both these shows and the, and the actors that have portrayed these characters um, over the years that I personally feel as, like just horrified by that moment as I do, because generally speaking, I'm certainly in fiction. Generally speaking, I'm one of those people that could potentially have looked at that as, Oh yeah, they've got, they've got it coming. They absolutely. I, I think I probably would have done the same thing, Angel, but (laughs) because I'm so invested in the character of Angel and the story that he's, that has been told around him and the arc that he's going through, um, even though I might have done the same thing, I'm horrified for him that he has taken that step. And we get the follow-up scene when he goes back and he tells the the rest of the gang what happened. And um, I mean, they are all horrified by it. Gun a little bit less maybe than, than Wesley and uh, Cordelia, but um, it's, it's uh, Wesley and particularly Cordelia's horrified response uh, to hearing that that really hit me. Like when, uh, I I think there's a moment when Cordelia says, uh, shoot, I wish I could remember exactly what she says, but it's something like, uh, so what, you're just going to let them kill anybody that you don't like. Um, I don't know. There was something about that line and her delivery of it that I was like, yeah, I mean, good point. Good point. Cordelia. You don't get to decide. And, and he was taking it upon himself to decide. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, Wesley has that iconic line that they were all that was standing between Angel and true darkness. Right now, the three of us are all that's standing between you and real darkness. And Angel acknowledges it mm-hmm. and fires them. You're all fired and walks away. That cut was to, a jaw drop. Cut to black. Yep, there's your cliffhanger for this episode. Oh, my God. I I could not believe it. That was crazy. Coming off the last scene, I wasn't expecting another jaw-dropping moment so soon, and 
it was a seismic shift mm-hmm. in the show for sure yep. for him to abandon his friends and also abandon his own compass. They were the ones to keep him on track. And he basically told them, yeah, the hell with you. I'm going my own way. Yeah. Uh, which leads us directly into redefinition, which as I said at the top is a very appropriate title um, because that's what this is. It's a redefinition of um the the sort of status quo of the show up to this point and it really changes things going forward so the original air date of this was january 16th 2001 so i think earlier i had said uh, oh well that's just a that was the christmas break the previous one was december 19th 2000 and this is the first one of 2001 um written by mare smith is one of my favorite writers uh over the course of the series i believe this is only her second episode uh, uh. and directed by michael grossman Mare actually wrote my favorite Angel episode, Orpheus. Orpheus, and yeah. And I, I completely forgot that she had written this one too. But uh, we're we're friends on Twitter, and she's just absolutely lovely. So this is exciting. Uh, she actually wrote the introduction to the superhero short story anthology that Eric Arlo and I put out several years ago. Um, she is a lovely person. Um, but uh, our feelings for Mare aside, what do we think of this episode? <laughs> this episode is fun. It's it's cool to see Angel kind of go off the deep end a bit. Uh-huh. Because, you know, for so much of his journey, he's all torn up by angst. He's so brooding. And this is a time that he just gets to be cold-blooded without actually being evil. So it's 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 fun and it's interesting for sure. Uh, seeing him kind of go on this Spartan lifestyle and uh, just prepare for battle and 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 launch these initiatives against the girls. So my, I'm going to start off with my one and only nitpick about this episode, and it's it's I feel bad because we just talked about Mare and what a fantastic writer she is and what a lovely person she is and how she's one of my favorite writers uh, over the course of Angel, um, but I. And I get why it's there, but the voiceover doesn't a hundred percent work for me. Um, I know that it's leaning into the noir sort of thing. Um, mm. And, but one of my favorite things about this episode is the fact that Angel never speaks. He never utters a word on camera. The only way we hear Angel's voice is through the voiceover narration mm. that he's doing. Yeah. I personally, I, I'm sure it would have necessitated some change in the storytelling. I mean, they would have had to let us inside angel's head somehow, but I almost wish that we could have had this episode. I mean, this is like the, the uh, blade runner debate, whether you like blade runner with or without the (laughs) the voiceover. Um, I almost wish we could have gotten this episode with no angel voice at all. Um, But that is really interesting. It would be a different kind of episode for sure, but it would have worked. That would have been cool to see. I think it would have worked. And uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the fear was that that would have made Angel too dark too quickly. Because if the only thing we get of Angel is what we see him do on screen, it's super dark. He is, And is it his show anymore? Right. But um, And like I said, the voiceover thing is a noir trope. And this show really loves its noir tropes. But uh, I don't know. Uh, some of the some of the voiceover delivery 
wasn't. <laughs> I didn't love. I didn't love it all. But regardless, that's my one and only nitpick of the episode. Um, I adore this episode for that dark journey uh, that Angel takes because there's a scene late in the episode, a pivotal scene that obviously we're going to talk about, where we see Angel smoking a cigarette, mm. which is a thing that we have not seen him do since, um, ooh, what episode number was it? Uh, was it back in Buffy when he first lost his soul? Oh, he wasn't smoking the cigarette so much as blowing the smoke out of the dead hooker's neck. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 not what I was thinking. Uh, in in uh, episode two of this season, in, in episode two hundred two, are you now or have you ever been? That was the last time we yeah. saw him on this show, at least. I don't remember on Buffy uh, smoking a cigarette, and that was also the episode that featured a very dark, a very dark angel uh, who was somewhere on the spectrum between mm. the angel that we know and the soulless Angelus. Absolutely. Which is what he's doing here. I was thinking of that exact episode when I was talking to you earlier about how he lets all these people die. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's significant for the quantity, but it's not the first time that he's done that. Yeah. When he was back in that hotel, he basically sacrificed those people to the demon right said you you know you can have them they deserve it after what they've done so there there definitely is something in him that sometimes goes off track i suppose when he gets hurt enough when he gets affected personally where he says you know what you don't deserve my help yeah and that's um i mean that's one of the best episodes of the season that's 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 one of the best episodes of the series uh mm. are you are you now or have you ever been um and it certainly was a shocking and, and mortifying episode to watch to see our beloved angel be that person. But that was couched in the, you know, that was framed as this was him 50 years ago um, when he hadn't yet sort of discovered as much of his own humanity as he eventually does and as he has by the time that we join the character. So it was still horrific to watch, but, you know, that was the past. That was old angel. Um, now here we are in the present after years and years of watching him become a better person, become an actual person. And, uh, he's doing this stuff again, but, uh, I just love the fact that, um, there are so many markers that point to this middle ground that angel has within, within him. He can lose his humanity without actually becoming inhuman. Well, there's plenty of humans, especially in the Buffy and angel verse, that have a soul and are yeah. desperately lacking in humanity. Yeah. I, I mean, but I mean, I love it particularly in angel because, um, something that even us fan, I mean, you know, I, 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 I claim to hate angel and love spike because if you're a fan, you have to pick sides. But the truth is I love the character of angel. Um, but we all, even fans of the character of angel debate the whole notion of, is he really two different people? I mean, does, does, I, I don't know, just the notion that Angel and Angelus are like two completely different people has been a debate that people have had since the characters were introduced. And uh, I love them showing that there is, uh, 
a, a third personality. I don't know if you're watching uh, Moon Knight on Disney Plus right now with uh, Mark Spector and all the alters, all the disassociative identity disorder issues he has going. Um, but it is sort of interesting to watch, to see that there is a a shade of gray between, you know, goody goody angel and soulless demon and jealous. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I, I and I think, you know, he's dedicated so much of himself to helping others that it only makes sense that eventually under enough pressure, under the right circumstances, he could snap and do things that are entirely and exclusively in his own self-interest mm-hmm. and uh, go off the deep end and push everyone he loves away and, you know, start lighting his ex-girlfriend on fire. <sighs> That's a thing that happens. I mean, and you know, meanwhile, in this episode, you've got this contrast from all the noir where he, Cordy and Wesley and Gunn are getting drunk. Uh-huh. They're singing karaoke, oh, trying to beautiful. figure out what their life looked like after they've been fired, and ultimately discovering that they want to continue fighting the good fight and they don't need him to help people, which I thought was quite lovely. I mean, first of all, there's the, the, you know, the humorous high point of them and Caritas. Um, I, I love the dynamic between those three characters where they're initially embarrassed to see each other there. And then they're like angry, they're drunk and angry at each other and blaming each other for what's happened to Angel. And you immediately cut to them on stage singing, we are the champions <laughs> and tearfully embracing each other. It's beautiful. Uh, it was, it was a lovely moment. And anytime uh, that Andy Hallett, the the late great Andy Hallett, can be on screen is a treasure. Um, I adore him and his character, who will eventually be named Lorne. Um, so he was brief in this episode. Well, I mean, the episode opens with him singing. Um, uh, oh Lord, I just forgot what song he was singing. It's not "I Will Survive," is it? Oh, what did he sing in this episode? Oh, in. In the beginning of season two, he opens with that. I'm but in sure. but in this episode, doesn't he start by singing? Um, oh shoot, "Raining Men." I can't remember. Dang it! I should have written that down. Anyways, yeah. Anytime we get the host slash Lauren, uh, the incredible Andy Hallett on screen is great. And uh, it was brief in this episode, but it was a very uh, interesting moment that uh, they went there to be to have their destinies read by the host. Um, and he didn't really do that because he can tell, he could tell when the powers that be uh, are about to send a vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, Absolutely. Which, again, as in the previous episode where I'm convinced that the powers that be uh, sent that vision to derail Angel's whole mission of darkness, uh, in this one, clearly the uh, powers that be are showing... Cordelia and Wesley and Gunn that they can have that they still have a purpose that they can do this and you could argue I suppose in the long term that because Angel was always going to reconnect with them that they are staying on this path because he is going to find his way back to them mm-hmm. and in fact spoiler alert when he does find his way back to them uh, so, so I said that this is a a line of demarcation uh there's pre this and post this and post this wesley 
takes on much more directly a, a, a serious sort of role of leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Angel does eventually come back to the fold, he allows Wesley to continue being in charge. And Angel is just an employee at that point. Um, so yeah, the powers that be help help keep Wesley and Cordelia and Gunn on track because they actually are going to uh, be instrumental in Angel fully finding his way back. Absolutely. So, and as we see all the way in uh, episode 520, 520 or 521, I don't remember, the series finale, um, they're all very important characters. We could argue with some decisions that are made. Very true. We could argue with some decisions that are made with Cordelia over the course of the series, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, That's a whole episode unto itself. Right. I think, I think maybe it is. I don't remember, but I think Arlo did possibly sequester that one as deserving of its own discussion. We'll see. Um, I love, Mm -hmm. I love the fact that this episode starts with angel burning Darla. Um, Cause like our first shot of angel is him torching all of the sketches that he's been making of Darla. Yep. Um, a little foreshadowing little, there. Yes. A little, I mean, I suppose it's not, it doesn't take a genius to <laughs> see the, uh, the book <laughs> ending there, but I, I love that kind of, that sort of stuff. So the fact that it opens with him torching her and ends with him and torching her as well is thrills me. Um, we stand a dramatic king. What? Oh, Merle is back. I can't. I feel like I've talked about Merle on previous episodes. I must have. Uh, he's just a little Weasley informant, the little reptilian informant. That uh, speaking of noir tropes, Angel and company occasionally shake. I will politely say shake him down. I think over the course of the series, I can't remember if this is the last time we see Merle, but uh, it gradually becomes more a case of Angel just relentlessly tortures poor Merle for information. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Merle eventually gets murdered. I, yeah, I, I, he doesn't last particularly long, but um, <laughs> I don't know. The actor James. But watching Angel torture Merle in this scene is hilarious. I mean, it is. I love Matthew James, that actor, and I love the character of Merle. And, and even though I was, it was, <laughs> I suppose, I mean, it was meant as comic relief the way he was doing it, but it shouldn't be funny. We shouldn't find that funny, but still. I know we shouldn't find it funny, but Angel saying nothing, just dunking him in and out of the water. Yep. Merle keeps talking all this nonsense and finally says what he needs to hear. Angel just walks away and leaves him there. Yep. Yeah. It's hilarious. Um, we also get Virginia back. Oh yeah, I keep forgetting that she's there. <laughs> Again, I, I Wesley's girlfriend. Yeah, Wesley's girlfriend from uh, Guys Will Be Guys. Um, who has popped up at least one other time, I think. She's certainly been mentioned. I can't remember if we've seen her between mm-hmm. Guys and guy, Guys Will Be Guys in this episode, but um, she has been mentioned. So she has been uh, Wesley's girlfriend in sort of the background of the show. Um, and it was lovely to see her again. Bridget Branagh. I love the actress. I love the character of Virginia. Again, another character that does not last particularly long. I I did not do my research to see if this is her final appearance, but she's not on the show for long. Um, 
which is a shame. I mean, I we're going to get some very, very good Wesley relationship dynamic stuff in the I not mean, too distant future. Of, Lila has some cool moments in this episode. <laughs> and, and if we're being really honest with ourselves, that's, that's the girlfriend of Wesley who, who holds the most intrigue for us fans. Uh, it, it is. See, I gave you, I, I told you off mic at the very top before we even started the show. I was like, don't, it's entire it's we're all spoilers are safe go wherever you want i still find myself being coy <laughs> I, I still try to avoid saying stuff but i mean obviously fred and that whole situation is gut-wrenching heartbreaking like traumatic for many of us fans um, and I, I would not give up the Wesley Fred relationship that we ultimately get, but damn it. I wish the Lila thing went on longer than it did. It was certainly interesting. It was, um, I mean, it wasn't healthy for either one of them, but my God, it was good entertainment. It was good TV. <laughs> it was good TV. And, and now in this episode that, you know, so many people at Wolfram and Hart have been, you know, drunk dry, there's some, some new advancement opportunities (laughs) and Lindsay and Lila have both survived the massacre and are now in competition to rise up. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of fun seeing how they get pit against each other. Um, there was one line that, uh, was probably entirely innocent. Uh, was not meant to be as twisted and salacious as I perhaps am making it out to be. But there was the one line where Lila says, um, if anyone's going down in here, it's you. And, and his response was, if that's what it takes. And my thought was what, like living in today's society, how am I supposed to read that? <laughs> like what exactly is Lindsay implying there? Uh, that he would do in order to make it in this corporation. Uh, Lindsay has something that Lila is lacking, at least in the beginning, which is uh, confidence. He has a sort of fearlessness about him, uh, even when he's in the cellar, that he's not afraid to die. He doesn't have anything to prove, at least not at this juncture. And she is a lot more uncertain Mm -hmm. and has a lot more riding on her you can sense it and that fear definitely puts her at a disadvantage but both of them are willing to do whatever it takes i'm so glad that the um i i i think in the script the character had a name but whoever the the representative of the senior partners was that told them that they were going to be sharing they were going to be vice or or co-vice presidents um i'm so glad that he reminded us when he was sort of dressing them both down, he reminded us that Lila also had her, her moral break with the firm at one point when she saved that girl, the, I can't remember mm-hmm. her name, something chalk. Was it the blind girl? It wasn't the blind girl. No, it was the telekinetic girl. The telekinetic girl. Yeah. Um, Who had I mean, been abused yeah. and Lila, I think identified with her pretty yeah. strongly and yeah, she had her break at that point. Yeah. So I'm glad they reminded us that that happened. Um, 
but you're right. I mean, except for that one sort of that single episode of her showing any kind of moral spine or whatever. Um, Lindsay is absolutely the, the more, I don't, I was going to, well-adjusted is absolutely not where I'm going for, but yeah. He's like the cool customer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's found his, what he believes to be his center uh, better than Lila has at this point. So he's about to be just as twisted up and misguided about Angel when it comes to Darla. Yeah. I mean, the relationship that Lindsay gradually develops with Angel and company, but mostly Angel going forward, is is fascinating. <laughs> um, what else? What else did we get in this? Um, I wanted to ask this earlier. Uh, I know when the series started, there was a third, a third guy that was Lila, Lindsay, and I can't. Gavin. No, no, Gavin's not. We haven't gotten Gavin yet. I don't think. Yeah, Gavin like comes in as he's like. Once Lindsay's already gone, then Gavin becomes like Lila's foil. Right, right. Um, no, there was somebody, uh, it was another L name. I can't, I apologize, I can't remember. The reason I'm asking this is because at one point in one of these episodes, when they na- when they named Lila Morgan and Lindsay McDonald, I'd known this before. I knew that they both had LM initials. But just in that moment, I was like, what is the significance of this? And I'm trying to remember what that other, that third guy's name was. I mean, he eventually got killed, but um, uh, it was another L name, and I don't remember if his last name was an M or not. But I was like, what is the significance? Why did the writers give us two, possibly three, uh, you know, grunt lawyers in this firm whose initials are LM? Is this a reference to something? Is there, is there some significance to those initials? Are they, are there, is it an Easter egg of some kind? Um, it could just be because they're all in the same role and they're all inherently at odds with each other in competition for the same roles. Maybe. I don't know. I, I have never read if there was actually sort of a backstory, like when they were creating these characters, why we had to go with an L and an M initial for everybody. But mm. um, so this is not That's it. This is not the explanation, but I'm just going to say it out loud. The only thing that popped into my head was Lucifer Morningstar. <laughs> I was trying to think of people with LM initials. And I was like, what could this possibly be a reference to Lucifer Morningstar? That seems a little on the nose and also perhaps outside of uh, Lindsay and Lila's reach, but still that was all I could come up with. So if anybody listening actually knows if there's a story behind those initials, please let me know. Well, they certainly did make a deal with the devil when they signed their employment contracts with this firm. True. It's true. Uh, at least one devil. Um, what else uh, did we get in here? I'm going over my notes. Uh, what have you got? Um... I mean, using a, a lit cigarette to I... light Darla and Drusilla on fire is is quite the showstopper. <laughs> I mean, as much as uh, Angel in the previous episode called Drusilla a classicist for liking, you know, all the classic uh, of rising from the grave and all that stuff. I mean, it's sure. pretty, it's pretty classic. Angel's got some of a classicist in him as well with the whole sitting in the shadows, smoking a cigarette and flicking it casually into a pool of gasoline. Come on. I mean, they're all old as hell. So there's certain <laughs> things they just can't shake. 
I suppose. Uh, but it was a fantastic scene. And um, I, somebody asked why, like, what's going on with Angel, why he didn't finish them off when they were, like, on fire. Like, he easily yeah. could have gone over there and killed them at that point. Um, sure. And uh, I don't know. I mean, possibly the real answer is because that's not dramatic. That's not good dramatic storytelling. Uh, it's much more engaging or, or whatever, you know, dramatic to watch him slink away in the shadows while they're burning to death out, out on the street. But um, I, we could question if at this point, like that was, uh, that was not Angel actually trying to kill them. That was him being pissed off and sending a message. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable explanation. If he wanted to kill them, if he was prepared to kill them, that would have been his moment, mm -hmm. easily. I think sending a message makes a lot more sense. And I think that he has, by this firm and by Darla and Drusilla as well, been toyed with mm -hmm. for some time now. And it's gotten under his skin. And so I think that this is... I mean, he, he ends the episode saying that someone's got to fight the war... Yeah. referring to himself and I mean if anything this to me seems like mental warfare it seems like vengeance but An Angel himself at least as Angelus was a big fan of mental warfare he loved messing with people's minds he loved intimidating them scaring them building up the suspense before he actually delivered the final blow so I, I, I saw a bit of a taste of Angelus there when he's like I'm going to burn them not completely, and then just skulk off. Yeah. I'll be back. I'll let I'll let them stew in it. I'll let everybody worry when I'll return. Um, in fact, I remember, or, or I should say, I don't remember. I, I I have a vague recollection that this is not just sort of swept under the rug. I mean, I know that we lose Drusilla after this. She goes back to Buffy. Like I said, I'm I'm almost positive she's not ever on Angel again. Um, I don't remember how much of an on-camera explanation we get of that in the next episode, like why Drusilla's not around anymore. Um, but I'm pretty sure that it takes Darla a little while to recover from having been set on fire. Does that sound it right does. to you? Okay. Yeah, no, that's right. Drusilla disappears to nurse her wounds, uh, leaving Darla alone in L.A. at Lindsay's apartment. Okay. And Darla is very badly injured. She's been weakened, so it's taken a lot out of her. Okay. And it takes her a little time to regain her strength. Yeah, because in the past, um, probably on both shows, certainly on Buffy, we've seen vampires get dusted by being set on fire. Like, And again, the truth here is probably the whole dramatic storytelling. We obviously don't want Darla and Drusilla to just be dusted like that. But no. uh, for convenience, there have been plenty of like, you know, C-list monster of the week vampires uh, that have been set on fire and pretty much they instantly just crumble into ash. Um, so fire is nasty. Fire is a bad thing for vampires. I'm glad neither one of them were dusted by it, but uh, I'm also glad that it has a lasting effect. And yeah, I, they definitely got a little bit of a, a pass there. The fire could have killed them pretty easily, and, and they got some time to put it out with that the, hydrant. I, I mean, that visual... I, I was talking to somebody recently who is watching the show 
along with this podcast. They have not watched the show before. <laughs> um, and uh, I was talking about that visual. Um, that's one of the visuals that stays with me uh, from the series uh, of the two of them rushing out and Darla using a sledgehammer to knock the top of that fire hydrant off. And then both of them desperately, you know, standing in the water trying to put themselves out. And I'd actually forgotten how, like, childlike and racked with pain Drusilla was in that moment. I'd, I'd forgotten how genuinely traumatic that appeared to be for Drusilla, especially since earlier in the episode she had a vision about fire and all the lovely screaming and pain yep. and all that. And, she uh, absolutely saw some fire in this episode before she got hit with it. Yeah, yeah. The shot that stuck with me was before Angel lit them on fire when they were in the arena. And Angel's in the background, and he walks right past Drusilla, and you just see it on her face. She yeah. knows he's there. Yeah. That was a very good moment. Yeah. Again, I, one of my favorite things about the episode is that he never speaks. It's very dramatic. And I love Darla's reaction after the fact, like after it what yeah, it's while they're sitting in the under the fire hydrant recovering from having been set on fire when Darla's like that was an angel. It wasn't Angelus either who was that. Again, I was talking about the fact that uh he can, you know, he can be inhumane and lose his humanity without having to go uh to actually lose his soul and become Angelus. Um, so I love that. And at the time watching this live, I love the fact that that is introducing this whole fear in the audience of, you know, what actually is happening to Angel right now? What, like, where are we going? Um, For sure. It's exciting because, you know, Darl and Drusilla are supposed to know him as well as anyone mm -hmm. and they have no idea whom they're dealing with. So it's, it's new territory. At least for now, pretty soon Angel will be back to looking in windows at his friends and kind of missing them and uh, <laughs> want to go back. He has, he's, I mean, you know, one step forward, two steps back. It's, that's a thing that Angel does. He, he needed to get a little bit of this out of his system. He needed to rage out a bit. Yeah. Um. Uh, any more bring bring some more is there anything else we need to talk about in this i mean you already mentioned the fact that the ex episode actually ends on wesley goes back and tells angel um that uh you know we're not we're not shutting down the company angel investigations is was still going to exist and it's going to be us um cuz we haven't given up somebody has to fight the good fight which is where we get Angel's closing voiceover. Let them fight the good fight. Someone has to fight the war. You um, know, that's actually an, a really interesting line on his part. Like in the moment, in the context of the events of this episode, obviously he's just still preoccupied with this conflict. Mm -hmm. But big picture, you go forward to season five and Angel once again returns to this place of it's not about the battles. It's about the war. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do have to actually sacrifice something small in order to achieve something big. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that there's a, a little bit of thematic foreshadowing there. And 
again, sort of circling back to what I was talking about earlier with prophecies and, and, you know, is this the path that Angel was always meant to walk or whatever, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's easy to watch the show. Well, for those of us who have watched the show, it's easy to watch the show knowing where it goes, knowing the point it reaches at the end and all of the characters that have come and gone in between uh, to look at this and say, you know, like I could nitpick and say him focusing on Darla is not fighting the war. Uh, Wesley yeah. and Cordy and gun, you know, the good fight that they're doing is technically, I mean, that is the war you were focused on just this one girl right now. Um, I mean, emotionally the line plays, but I could nitpick that. But then you also, uh, with our, our prophecy glasses on, we can cast our eyes into the future and see that things that spin out of his obsession with Darla, like we wouldn't have this character if not for that. And, you know, I mean, Mm. we can see how where he's at right now leads to all the various things, good and bad that happen between now and the series finale. If you take that kind of broad view, you could argue Angel was meant to be obsessed with Darla. He was meant to be on this path, yeah. specifically so events could transpire, leading I mean, to other things. I mean, this is this is exactly why I was asking the question earlier. Like, we're in in the moment we're watching these episodes, going, "Oh, Angel, what is wrong with you, dude? This is not. This is bad. Yeah. This is bad." And I still believe that, but. He does bad things here, and because of those bad things, good things happen later? Question mark. <laughs> so Meanwhile, the powers that be keep his friends on track saying this is what it's really about. Yeah. And maybe it's not to distract him from Darla, maybe it's to show Cordelia and Wesley and Gunn there are still lives to be saved. This stuff matters. You have to stay the course regardless of what he does. Yeah. And everything unfolds just as it was meant to prophecy boom <laughs> i don't know um all right i think i think that's all i've got i mean there were some funny lines like uh i i wish i'd gotten to hear wesley sing something by cat stevens like i wish that <laughs> had happened um there was merle not knowing how to say drusilla's name and calling her godzilla there's cordelia saying it's always some little blonde driving him over the edge absolutely which is absolutely true and and very consistent to his character yeah yeah um yeah i mean these are (laughs) i've been telling people for years that angel is my is my favorite of the two shows um and i am willing to fight anybody (laughs) uh that doesn't believe that but uh you know, going back and doing a rewatch, I've rewatched the series many times, but uh, my memory, memory is mercurial at best. So actually watching the show with the intent of like analyzing each episode and talking about it like this, I'm just reminded. I, it's, it's like watching it for the first time and seeing this stuff. I'm I'm just blown away by the storytelling and the level of commitment with the between the storytellers and the actors. And I, it's fantastic stuff. I love the show i love being immersed and immersed in this fandom and i I cannot wait i know there's some bad stuff coming up i mean there's some 
some less than great things in the future for this series but ultimately i 100 percent just adore the hell out of this series absolutely and when you're fans of characters like the fanged four and you get to watch them throughout both shows and mm-hmm. see them in flashbacks and in the present day there is such a rich context for all of these scenes that just gives them a lot of weight and makes them exciting and scary and funny all at the same time. Yeah. I Anytime you've got Darla, Drusilla, Spike in the mix, I mean, that's that's a party. <laughs> yeah, see, another spinoff. Just those four characters. That's unfair. We get so much time to spend with, like, the fearsome foursome. But uh, still, I... I would love. Let's just do a mini series. Let's just have a mini series that's just the four of them. I would love a mini series. You call it the Whirlwind. <laughs> oh, it's, it's ten episodes or whatever, and it like highlights the devastation in Europe when yes. they just lived their absolute best lives. <laughs> their best confirmation lives. of Angel and Spike's intimacy, which is canon. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, just seeing them in the height of their glory i would love that animated that. animated let's make it an animated 10 episode an animated thing four series yeah oh my god i mean because as much as i love all these people are we really going to get all four of them back on camera um i mean no no that ship has sailed i, I love all james right. marsters but he is he does not look like spike anymore anyways yeah no uh but we'll we'll do a, a fanged four animated series yeah. and and <laughs> lots of animated blood to go with it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think that's probably it. Any any closing thoughts? Well, these episodes slap really hard. <laughs> I enjoy them a lot. Um, I, I think that we've we've covered a lot of ground. I, I don't think we've left any stone unturned. Good. I, I, I had a good time talking about this with you. Um, I need you need to come back on the show. Absolutely, I anytime. Know, you you pretend not to be a podcast person, but this is at least the third time I've had you on, Mike. <laughs> I will do any Buffy Angel Whedon podcast anytime. Okay. All right. I'll hold you to that. All right. Um, do you have any interest in being uh, virtually stalked by our listeners? Do you want to share any projects or social media locations or anything? I mean, I don't have any like projects of note, but if you want to come find me on Twitter, my my handle is Sarekins. It's S A R E K I N S. I'll talk about Buffy or Angel or Dungeons and Dragons, whatever, anytime. Broadway? Anytime you want to chat nerdy stuff, hit me up. Broadway? Broadway? Uh, to some extent. I've got some friends that are more into that than I am, but I live close to New York City, so I have no excuse. <laughs> um, we should talk about Moulin Rouge someday. We saw Moulin Rouge! We yes, did. we did. We did. That was, was great. That was glorious. All right. Um, well, thank you for, for joining me, and, and uh, I'll get you back somehow. Of course. Thanks for having me. That wasn't a threat. I mean, I'll get you back on the show. That sounded very <laughs> threatening. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, anyways, thank you everybody at home for listening. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Uh, if, you, if you'd like to subscribe to the show, we're on Apple Podcasts. Um, 
I don't think still that I've ever put us on Spotify. A super simple step that I'm just too lazy to, to do, but we're out there. Just Google conversations with dead people. You'll find us. Um, if you have questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the conversation, you can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Um, if you have an explanation for what was it I was asking about earlier? Uh, I can't remember. I, I asked a, an, a very important question and wondered if listeners had an explanation for me. Oh, well. Why the LM initials? Yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah. If you know what the real story, that is what it was. Thank you, Sarah, for having a better brain than me. If you, if you listening now have any, uh, you know, insider information for why so many characters have LM initials, uh, conswithdead at gmail.com. Um, or you can follow us on Twitter at conswithdead, uh, or reach out to us on Facebook at conversations with dead people. Uh, next time around confirmations still have to be made. My people have to reach out to his people, but fingers crossed our good friend from Brazil, Johnny Ho will be back with us uh, next time to discuss episodes 212 blood money 213 happy anniversary and 214 the thin deadline until then remember if nothing we do matters then all that matters is what we do i paid my dues time after time i've done my sentence but committed no crime and bad mistakes i've made a few 